Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beach is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. What's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Hanging out with you. Our guy, David Sampson, is back in. It's back. been a while. It's been a minute. Where have I been? Uh, you've been uh, you've been all over the place. We'll get to that in a minute. We are presented by Citizen. we got a monster show, Jacob DeGrom. We're going to get to that with our man David here. Um, we might even touch on that Norkic injury, which was pretty disgusting when you think about it. And Gary Paris is going to come get us caught up on all our March Madness uh, discussion with uh, basketball in full swing. It's been a while. Seeing you around the office. I honestly think I could do an entire podcast on your ultra marathon adventures and your triathlons and your training and everything else. You just got back from one, right? I did. I just did the Antelope Canyon 50 mile ultra, <laughs> which is 40 miles out of 50 in the deep sand. Like picture being on Miami beach in that sand for 40 miles. It took me 14 hours and 46 minutes to finish the 50 miles and only 70% of the starty of the starters actually finished. I used to do four miles in the sand on the beach. I think it's outstanding training. Did you cry? What was yes. the worst? Like, was there a moment when you thought about quitting? And is this where, like, truly where it is, like, mind over matter, where you just have to convince yourself you can do it? It's 95% mental. I imagine – I love doing stuff like this because I imagine it being like a professional athlete, which I can't be and I never will be because I don't have any talent. The only thing I can do is train my mind to never let my body stop, and that's how I do these endurance events. And it actually works because the thing is if your mind and your body quit at the same time, then you're screwed. Right. But my mind never quits. So therefore, when my body quits, it doesn't even know the difference. I just keep going. What was the worst – like was there something afterwards like blisters do you wear like do you wear shoes when you're on that uh yeah then you would get blisters all over no because i used to run barefoot but you like did? no or i'd get like those vivram five fingers like the oh. that are actually like those but they were kind but of it was warm. all it was rocks there was forty four thousand feet of elevation you had to climb up and down ladders you were in and out of canyons this is antelope canyon in arizona it's it's absolutely beautiful i'll show you a picture sometime and it's uh yes you wear shoes the only issue i have right now is is black toenails uh, which happens right before they fall off. Right. That's the is, worst. Which is not great. But like the next, like, do you cramp at all or do you like the, or do you have to stay in bed? I cried. I didn't cramp. No, I actually ran. The next day I was fine. I wasn't sore. You did a little so run after? It's called a shakeout run. Really? You do it just to get the blood flowing again. Uh, but the best part of it is actually finishing and realizing that Imagine. you did something. And then does everybody go party together? Uh, we actually did party after. I bet. Yeah. We, I mean, you we, want to get some beers in here for quick. <laughs> we did a lot of partying after. I bet. I mean, there's fun. gotta be a sense of accomplishment. You and James Harden. James Harden uh, worked out after his big performance the other night. You had to work out after your big run. So you guys are like, it's worth it. I'd like right to there. see you do a full marathon. I have zero desire to do a full. I have a desire to do a half marathon and a sprint triathlon. Like, those are the two things I would like to Sprint triathlons are super fun, by the way. And I think, I mean, not, they're, none of them are easy, but I think it would be, the training could be relatively minimal. Well, you got to swim. Right. And I'm a pretty good swimmer. Like growing up in South Florida, I did a little bit of swim when I was younger. So, I mean, I, I'm a pretty good swimmer. Uh, so I want to do the sprint triathlon. We'll have to do, we'll have to do one like Canel and Bell show challenge. I'm in. You know, I know you, by the did, way, but you'd have to like I, take it easy on us. No, I'm not fast. fast. Oh, really? I just, I just, just can go long. It. All right. Good. Then in the sprint <laughs> one, we'd be all right. All right. Let's get to some of the stuff we got to get to because Jacob deGrom literally this morning, uh, just, uh, signed a brand new extension is a five year, $137 deal, uh, with the Mets, uh, the 23, uh, 2023 club option. Oh, it's, 
<laughs> excuse me. The contract with covers it. You're gonna get it. 2019 to 23. There's a club option in 24 and the opt out after 22. Uh, the deal was first reported by Martino NYC, uh, whoever that is in New York. Thanks for the, uh, the Twitter handle there. We'll give us Andy Martino. Andy Martino. There you go. Thank you for that. Um, when you look at these deals, when I see these, I just always assume I'm like, yeah, well, the guy was a Cy Young last year. He's going to get his. When you look at this, do you evaluate, how do you evaluate this? You know, it's funny. You're, you're sitting here behind a microphone saying those things. When you're running a team, you can't say those things. Right. It doesn't make sense. They signed him at the height. There was so much public pressure on the Mets to sign Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom is not a foolish guy. He set a deadline of opening day. Then he gets Noah Syndergaard to go public on Sunday saying, pay that man his money, John Malkovich. So then you've got the Wilpon family saying, what do we do? You know, we've got a prom in our clubhouse. We've got the best pitcher next to Scherzer in baseball. But we have him two more years. What's the rush? My issue with this deal is the timing. There was no reason to do it now. So you think DeGrom is the, quote, winner in this one because he got his before he had to get it. He's pitching at 31. This is not a youngster. Now, he does, he, remember, he was a late bloomer, so he still has two years of arbitration this year where he signed $17 million, and he had next year under team control. So there really was no reason to do it this early. And what the players are saying is, look, Chris Sale signed an extension. Justin Verlander signed an extension. Well, so what? You don't have to be a copycat team because when you copy, it means you're not a differentiator and it means you're just ordinary. And that's what the Mets are, folks. They're just ordinary. What is going on? Because it wasn't that long ago you had Verlander, uh, Adam Wainwright, a bunch of guys were out there complaining. There's a problem with the system. And you had Manny Machado was, you know, still wasn't signed. Mm-hmm. Bryce Harper wasn't signed. The Mike Trill, uh, Trout deal still wasn't signed. Unsigned, you have Kimbrel unsigned. Still. So, so who is is it, to me? It's like, oh, the problem just went away. Like all these guys are getting paid. It seems like those guys will get theirs. It's just a matter of time. Although opening day is right around the corner, so you would think it would happen very, very soon. But is like I thought for a minute that the owners were going to take a stance and was to say, all right, we're done spending these ten-year deals for three hundred plus million. Let's do something smart and give them shorter-term deals. And the players stared him right in the face and said, nope, we're not taking any of them. And then you saw Manny Machado was the first chip to fall. Then Bryce Harper gets a little bit more. And then Bryce Harper gets this massive deal for 430. Um, I, I just – when do we peak? Trout was an extension, mm-hmm. right? Harper Machado were free agents. Yep. Now Mookie Betts is saying to himself, I want to get paid even more, even though he's not as good as Trout. So the answer is it only stops when the owners stop paying up. And it's not collusion. It's a re- the real question is, and look at this great graphic that our guys built. I love it, right? <laughs> well it just done. goes, Blake Snell, yes, he's a Cy Young Award winner. The only thing you're not putting here is how much experience and years of service they have, which means how long have they been in the big leagues. Blake Snell is a young player. Justin Verlander at age 36 is lucky to get $33 million a year for two years. Mike Trout, they're paying him to 39. They're doing the same with uh, Bryce Harper. So why are extensions happening? Because players are afraid that in free agency, the juice is not worth the squeeze. They're going to go on this great... Remember when Carl Pavano did the Carla Palooza free agent run where he went to every team and it was the big deal and the Yankees signed him for $40 million over four, I believe? The days of those sort of free agent trips are over. Yeah. So when you can get offered guaranteed money, you take it. Think about any professional athlete. You're one Nurkic away yeah. from being done. <laughs> and in baseball, when you get it all guaranteed, if you get Nurkic, 
you're still getting paid. The only thing I don't understand, and I don't think I ever will, is the long term, like till you're 39, 38 years old, like the Harper and like the Mike Trout deal. Like Stanton? Are you yeah. making fun of my no, Stanton deal? No, but I mean, you guys got it, but you also unloaded it. Like, what? That was, what was them. The they unloaded it. I was fired already. <laughs> but when you were doing that, so my, my, I guess I have a couple questions for you. When you're signing those deals, like for the, let's take the Padres for X, because there was, that was the first one that kind of the, the first tip that fell with Manny Machado signing. It, he has an opt out, and he has an opt out after five, correct? Which he won't use, right? Which he won't use. But let's just let's say in five years, how do the Padres judge this, and how would have you if you would have stayed with the Marlins and you guys would have kept the team? How would have you have judged that as this is money well spent? I'll tell you exactly the value. Here's what you say to yourself: when you give a player an opt out, the only way a player uses the opt out is if he's underpaid. And that means you made a good deal. Right. If the player doesn't opt out, it means he can't do better because they all tamper. Let's let's. Oh, of let's, course. I mean, the let's tampering, trying honest. to exactly, and it's dumb for any the NBA, Major League Baseball to try to stop it. It's, it'll you can't never stop, stop tampering. No. Here's what agents do. It's their job. Yeah. If your player's going to opt out, you better be damn sure that you've got to deal with someone else for more money. Right. Otherwise, you don't opt out. Clayton Kershaw. Great example this offseason. Everyone talked about, will he opt out? Will he not opt out? Guess what? The reason he signed the pillow extension with the Dodgers, he couldn't get more money elsewhere. That's the reality. So if I have a player who's going to opt out, that means, pat on the back, we signed him to a good deal. So, again, the Padres, how will they evaluate? So after if he stays, is it ticket sales? Is it championships? Is it rings? It's rings. I so want a if ring if I'm, the, if I'm the Padres. Because the Padres haven't been relevant. I mean, they haven't made the playoffs many, very many times in the last decade. I think it's been over a decade. I mean, they're, ring, they're ringless is more important. Exactly. As a they're franchise. ringless. So let's say in five years. They don't, they have, they've, maybe they made the playoffs once or two, cause they're not, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year. They will not. They're, like, they're still going to take some time to develop. Let's say they whiff on it mm-hmm. and they make the playoffs once and they get bounced in the first round. Is that a bad signing then? Terrible. And they're going to be trying to sign Machado. My prediction is, uh, I will tell you it is 95% sure that Machado is not a Padre in eight years. Really? They will have to move him, and they'll pay part of his contract to move him because they will realize that they couldn't build around him. They had too much money tied up in Hosmer and Machado. They're going to want to sign Tatis if he ends up working out or some of their other young players. It, it, it's so hard to run a baseball team because you feel as though you want to sign your guy right now and you always forget there's another guy coming down the turnpike who's going to be just as good, who you're going to want to sign just as badly. The Mets are right now, they're so happy. Their clubhouse is happy. They got to Grom. Everything's great. And now Noah Syndergaard is, hi, I'm Noah Syndergaard. Yep. Do you have any money for me? <laughs> He's going to want his just in a matter of time. And if they let Noah go, all of a sudden their vaunted rotation is not as good. They have to make decisions. It's hard in baseball because it feels so good at the time. Picture anything in life that feels super good right when it's happening, and then you regret it right when you're done. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Padres, That's what happens with contracts. Padres haven't made the playoffs since 2006. Let's move on to the Angels because they just gave Mike Trout the massive extension, $430 million. They've been kind of irrelevant too, and it's one. And they have, they've had some bad contracts. They haven't won a playoff game with Mike Trout. Right, not one playoff Zero. game. Forget Zero. a ring. Swept not a game. The, it's and so they've given him this uh, this massive extension. Um, do you think they'll regret this deal? Or do you think they'll be saying, hey, one day we'll get that championship? Because that's one thing. I, that's when I saw this signing, I was like, man, I was hoping Trout would have gone to a team 
where he would have had a better chance, where he would have been on a more talented team that's had some more talent around him. I don't, I'm never going to fault a guy for getting that type of paycheck, but at some point I'm like, man, is he going to be one of these stars that we never get to see have an opportunity for? Take a, a look at 2012. That's the season in which Albert Pujols yep. joined them on that huge $240 million 10 year deal. That looks like missed, 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 missed. That is six out of seven missed with an ALD loss mixed in. And Pujols now is done, yep. right? He's their five-hole hitter. He just he can't move anymore. Great career Hall of Famer, obviously. But the question is, is it going to happen now to Trout, where there's going to be five out of six misses, and then Trout's going to be 33, 34 years old and not performing at this level? They signed C.J. Wilson. They signed Josh Hamilton. They have really tried to build a winner there. They just haven't been good at it. <laughs> so is it the GM's fault? They've gone through a few. Is it the owner's fault? They've gone through one. Who knows whose fault? It's just hard to win in baseball. I just don't think that Trout alone is enough. And that's my story, Danny, with baseball. It's not basketball with LeBron. Right. You cannot guarantee a championship by signing one player. Right. And that's where, that's why I don't think Coca put on here, you're like, how much pressure is on Mike Trout with this new deal? I don't think no, not one ounce because, more because he'll still produce. I don't have like, I don't have any, you know, I've lost any faith. I think he'll be a producer. He's one of my, he's the best player in baseball right now. But it's not ever. enough. Exactly. You, you only one out of nine times. Exactly. So that's where I don't think there's that much pressure. Plus he plays in a secondary team in his own market. I mean, everybody's about the Dodgers. And it's not like a quarterback where if you sign a big deal, all of a sudden the expectations change on you. Because a quarterback, you can change a team's outcome. I think he'll kind of just fly under the radar. And can you win that. in football, though, Danny, With the, if you're a great quarterback with a terrible defense? No, but you have a better chance. You know what I mean? Like, Well, I think the Angels have a better chance with Trout right, right than without shot. him. But it's still a long shot. Right. You have to build in football. It's important to have a good quarterback. But I've seen some mediocre quarterbacks yep. with jewelry. Right. I've watched Absolutely. It. Trent Dilfer, there's a list. Brad Johnson, there's a bunch of them. Joe Brad Flacco. Johnson and yeah. Joe Flacco have jewelry. Right. And Marino has none. Which is kind of a, I guess a travesty when you think about it, but it does absolutely, it comes in the conversation. Patrick Mahomes example of a guy who lit it up last year, their defense was awful and it's why the Patriots bounced them in their own house. That and a D Ford offsides in that game. If you're, if you're the Chiefs though, right? I can't believe I'm talking well, football. No, I love it. You've got to build your defense. And they are. And they're making those, the concerted efforts through the offseason, through the draft. They're trying to build that defense up so they can get them better. Um, Noah Syndergaard, your boy, who's going to ask for more money, uh, pretty soon, had some, quote of the year, had some Here interesting it is. comments, uh, talking about the Mets travel situation because I do think it is. Don't say it. What? He's right. Oh my God, you're such he's a player. Right. He no, he's not right. Blasted, uh, the, um, I'm trying to find his exact, oh, here his we go. His quote was, go. you were not a know. championship team. Exactly. And he's right. I don't know whose idea that was, but it's not a smart one. I don't think it's conducive for winning ball games. Really? That much travel? I mean, I'm sure the amenities in Syracuse aren't the best for a major league baseball team to go up there and have one last workout before the regular season starts, but those kind of decisions are above my pay grade. Maybe they're not because well, eventually they won't be. He is, so the Mets I'm spring training, spring now. training is a month long. They've had that in Port St. Lucie. Then they go to Sarasota. Then last night, their flight was delayed three and a half hours to go to Syracuse for a workout. It's not even like an exhibition game at their new AAA affiliate where you would think, hey, let's try to pump up. The Why did they agree to do it though? workout. Danny, can who, I the just. Players? What? No, I, I was going to say. About the exactly. Players. But that's who Why did the Mets agree to go to Sarasota? 
I don't know. Okay. Funny? Sarasota <laughs> is their new AAA team. Gotcha. So when you do a deal with a AAA team, you have to give them a little something to get that deal done. And if I have to do one workout in Sarasota. No, you're talking Syracuse. In, in no, Syracuse. I was going to say, I was like, Syracuse. Thank you. No, Syracuse. Sarasota would have been easy. easy. I would have done that all day. I'm talking Syracuse. If I have to do one workout in Syracuse in order to get four years, six years of an affiliation, how important is it when I need to call up a guy from AAA and instead of flying from Vegas, yeah. where they used to be, they can just hurry up and come from Syracuse as a GM or team president, I can make a decision at 4.30 p.m. that I want to call a guy up, and guess what? He's in the lineup that night. When I'm in Vegas, i got to wait for an all-nighter, an overnight flight. It's a think, nightmare. you think this is what closed the deal to have the AAA affiliate I don't think Vegas? I know. That that one workout was He's, the clincher. This is what you do when you cut deals. I've, I did this for 18 years. <laughs> when you do a deal with a minor league team to be your AAA or AA affiliate, you offer them an exhibition game. You offer them a workout. You offer them an appearance, something in order to – the carrot in order to do that signing. Plus, plus, they don't fly southwest. True. They were three and a half hours delayed, though, so maybe they did. You know what they were doing during the three and a half hours? They were taking their meal money. Right. They were playing, playing poker, <laughs> and they were eating catered great food. Can we please stop the narrative that these players have it so hard? I don't think they have it so hard. Here's what I think, and this is my hunch. Do you think that Syndergaard and some of the other vets on the team went to the management and said, hey, what are we doing? Is there any other option here? Now, the workout is voluntary, supposedly. I think it'll be really curious to see who shows up. Is it basically just an autograph signing? Is that kind of what it's going to be? There will be autographs, like photos. Autograph pictures. But there will be a workout because you want to get the workout in before I was more mad until I found out. So the, they're going there today. Then they have off tomorrow. Then they start opening day on Thursday. So they do have an off day in between. You, you, do, you have to have the off day, right? You have to have one off day under the collective bargaining agreement in the last two days of spring. Like the Marlins are taking their off day, took it yesterday. Today they're going to work out at Marlins Park before opening up uh, on Thursday. This The players are used to this. They travel. They don't go to bed at 9 o'clock, tidy under the covers, being all calm and not. Come on. Uh, it I, just makes no sense to me. And then Noah talks about DeGrom. It creates, as a team president, when you've got a player out there saying, pay one of my teammates – and you've got fans and media and Twitter. The pressure is overwhelming. And then you've got DeGrom saying, I'll only do it before opening day. And he's pitching against Scherzer right out of the gates. Yep. It, the pressure was overwhelming. So I understand why the Mets did it. I just don't – I don't agree. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it works out on Thursday when they do have that opening day. But You're going to judge the five-year contract on one start. That's right. Everybody This will. is That'll the evaluator be right here. It's the reaction. Yeah, it's overpaid if he loses. <laughs> then he's going to give up like five home runs in that game. What if I told you imaginary friends are real? This is just so exciting. This Friday, get ready for the movie event with the greatest cast you've ever imagined. Showtime. Ryan Reynolds, John Krasinski, Kaylee Fleming, Fiona Shaw, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Louis Gossett Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, George Clooney, Maya Rudolph, Bradley Cooper, Sebastian Maniscalco, John Stewart, Sam Rockwell, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, and Steve Carell. I need to throw up or I need a snack. It's one of the two. Gross. If. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Written and directed by John Krasinski. You can now relive the best 
best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Back to Canel and Bell, David Sampson in for Raja today. Baseball, breaking news. It's perfect that we have you here to, ta- to discuss this because Rob Manfred has announced that Larry Bear, the uh, president and CEO of the San Francisco Giants, has been suspended without pay through and including July 1st, 2019. Bear's leave of absence, which commenced on March 4th, 2019, will be converted to an unpaid suspension. Obviously, he was caught on video with altercation with his wife where he took his cell phone back and she fell to the ground. Uh, you know, there was something. This is a pretty significant stance for baseball to come down and say, hey, we're not messing around with this. And that's that's what they need to do in today's society. Yeah, right now, domestic violence is obviously unacceptable. And what happened that day is without question unacceptable. And the thing that's tough is that he's a uh, I've known him for 18 years. And uh, this is not his character. But you cannot deny what happened. Mm-hmm. So right now, this hurts two days before opening day for the commissioner to have to make a statement like this. This is not exactly where you want the focus to be. It makes perfect sense. They did it today. They don't want this hanging over opening day. They want it to be all about on the field and all about baseball, especially in San Francisco. But this is really a nationwide story because the eyes were on the commissioner. Are you going to be consistent in punishing an executive the way you would a player? If a player were on video doing what he did, which was less than Kareem Hunt, but more than nothing. So suspending him for half a year, it's funny to say without pay, in that his his salary is not public. So you don't know what that means. It'll be hefty, though. It's hefty. It's a significant amount that, that, that presidents get paid. And he's been a control person for a long time. Basically saved the team in San Francisco. And he's mortified by this. And he's apologetic. What I don't like in the commissioner's statement, which he just released, is that the commissioner, who I'm a big fan of, personally and professionally, said, I met with Mr. Bear, and he has expressed regret over the incident. Yeah. Right. As opposed to what? As opposed to walking into the commissioner and saying, she deserved it. I had to get that phone back. Do you know what was on that phone? Of course he went in and expressed regret. I wanted him to say, we are a league that will not tolerate this behavior from anyone, player, staff, owner, executive, trainer, mascot, anybody. I'm so excited. I'm moving the microphone everywhere. But <laughs> which this, is what this they is did. A big deal. Which is what they said. And I think that's a huge, um, I don't know. There's nothing, you know, I don't want to say any positive from a situation. No that's positive. So bad, but. I think from a player's perspective, that's what you, the players want. They want to be everything to have fairness so that you don't get preferential treatment because the owners have a better relationship with Manfred. And there's a lot, some leagues are better than others, but the NFL's relationship with, you know, players and ownership is as contentious as it's been probably in the history of the, of the league. And in a similar instance, Robert Kraft, players are watching that. You have to watch that. What is going on here? Because same thing. If that happened with a player, what are you going to do to them? 
And a lot of times there's players feel like the, pow- the, the owners have all the power, which they do. They put up a lot of the money. I don't have a problem with it. Some of the players have a really hard problem with that. But there cannot be a double standard when it comes to an issue like domestic violence. So good on Rob Manfred for taking that uh, stance there. And it will be interesting to see as we follow Robert Kraft. But for now, Robert Baer um, suspended without pay for the essentially the first half of the base. Why do they have to say without pay, right? right. With a player, that becomes – Valuable, right? right? Where you say this player, it's like he Again, was don't five millions of dollars to the, to the stance of it keeping the same punishment as the player. Don't but, you think that's what? It but is? I want to quantify that, right? And right. you won't have, you will not be Zero. able to find that out. Zero chance. Yeah, somebody. Sorry. Don't you think somebody will dig around and find that? Oh, It'll you could. Somebody, always some reporter out there is going to dig on it. Uh, so you have been a world traveler. Not only were you uh, out doing your ultra marathon the other day in the sand, running forty miles in the sand, which is insane. fifty. Fifty. I undersold you there. Fifty miles in the sand. But you also were in Japan for uh, yes. Ichiro's last game. Hated the uh, the way things played out because it was at 5.30 a.m. I don't like that they have two games to count and they come back for spring training. But I love that they did it for Ichiro, that he got his hometown, you know, got the, the love that he showed. It was really cool. When you saw the Mariners players crying when he was coming off the field, he was emotional, a guy that doesn't show a lot of emotion. But you've got a pretty good relationship with Ichiro. Yeah. I thought it was really cool that you got to go there. What was it like firsthand to see that? Well, that's why I went. I went because I thought that honoring Ichiro was the right thing to do. When, when he was a Marlin for three years, I just enjoyed watching him. I enjoyed getting to know him. I enjoyed speaking in code with him. We would speak English, but we would also have a text code where he would text certain things and certain emojis that I knew what he was talking about, and he would know what I was talking about. And when it was announced that the Mariners were going to open in Japan, I knew immediately what that meant. And I texted each row, and I said, I'm going to be there for you. So I went over there with a friend of mine named Mitch, and we watched him play two games And what I saw was a player who was leaving on his own terms, but prematurely in his own mind. Mm. And that's a a subtle difference, right? He wasn't ready to retire. He wanted to keep playing, and he felt as though he could. But knowing that he would not have that opportunity, he then chose to go out in the way he did, which was being acknowledged by the people in Tokyo and in Japan. And, Danny, I got to tell you, Ichiro in Japan – you don't understand the level of fame. It's not, it's, it's LeBron, Jordan, nothing. LeBron and Jordan are nobody compared to what Ichiro is in Japan. Really? It's, it's insane. He can't go anywhere. And this has nothing to do with the fact that he was in the news for his retiring. On a random Tuesday, three years ago as a Marlin, when I was with him, this is my third time seeing him in Japan. Third or fourth time, I can't remember. And he, um, it's it's hard to be Ichiro. So that Wright Thompson wrote a piece for ESPN the magazine where he went over to Tokyo and trained with him in the offseason. There were some really fascinating like stories behind him. I'm curious to hear if you have any interesting stories. One, is it true that he speaks better English than he leads on because he just doesn't want to talk to a lot of people? So my favorite <laughs> Ichiro story is that uh he he's very good in English. Right. So the first time I met him was at a restaurant in Japan. We had spoken to him over the phone, which is a story I actually may have told on this show where the translation was very strange and I didn't know what was going on. We wanted to make sure he'd be a fourth outfielder. And we asked him, are you okay to be a fourth outfielder behind Stanton, Yelich, and Ozuna? And he answered for like 10 minutes in Japanese. And the translator said, yes. (laughs) Right? That was it. That was it. And I said, I'm sure he said more than that. Right. Like, this is the money question. Yeah. Will he be a fourth? We need to know for sure. The translator asked the question again. Ichiro answers for another three minutes, and the translator looks at us and says, yes. I couldn't even believe that. I said, that that doesn't make any sense to me. So then what did I do next? Sat down with Ichiro. We go to dinner, and I'm trying to be very 
um, you know, in Japanese, you have to bow a certain way. Right. You have to do things with a toothpick a certain way. And so I like toothpicks and I like not having food in my yeah, teeth. Of course. Yeah. So sitting down, having food, and I take a toothpick and I'm cleaning, which is what I'm yeah, used to, to do. Yeah. All of a sudden, Ichiro looks at me and he says, no, David. He takes the toothpick and he shows me how to do it. So what you do is you cover your mouth with your hand. You have the toothpick. And you have to like do it so, so no one can you do see. that. Really? And I never knew it. And so I said to Ichiro, thank you for teaching me that. And Ichiro said, more to come. Really? So, and he taught so, you a lot about their traditions. He taught me about their traditions, their culture, what it is to be respectful, and what it is to have a work ethic. And when I think back to Ichiro and his career – he did was it things. true that he had like he had an exact number of balls like every day from the cage? Because that was something that Wright Thompson mentioned. He like he would hit exactly a hundred off the tee, a hundred, and like counted every single ball that he hit in, in uh, you know in the cage. What I love about Ichiro, he did do that. But if you asked him to do something for fun, he would do it. So we would say before BP sometimes, "Hey, each show us that you could be in the home run derby," and he would take a round of BP. And absolutely every ball would be a home run. Really? And then we'd say, all right, Ichiro, gapper, which is hitting, hit it between the left fielder and the center fielder. He would take a round of BP and every ball would be a PP right left <laughs> center. It's as though he could run with the ball and place it on the field where he wanted to. And his career almost ended with an infield hit. Right. I know. It was a so bang, close. bang play. If there were no instant replay, the umpire's calling him safe on that. Uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. They it was so were. close. And it it was, would have been a game-winning RBI. It was storybook. Yeah, it was really an awesome moment. I love when he was going over there. One of the Mariners came over and bowed to him. And D. Gordon. He, yeah, it was D. Gordon. And he said, nah, nah, get over here and gave him a hug. So it was kind of cross-cultural. It was really cool because D. Gordon paid the ultimate respect uh, in Japan. Which is and, what you do. Exactly. And Ichiro said, no, give me a hug, which is the ultimate So respect. the first time I ever hugged Ichiro, I felt weird and uncomfortable about it because I'm a hugger. I like hugging. Yeah. So I did the bow hug whenever I would say see him and i i asked him are you okay and he went in and, and he went in for the hug back so i knew it was okay so he is a hugger yep and uh but d gordon remember each was there when jose died he was a marlin that year each mm -hmm. was a very interesting part of that team and what we had to do he we, we were honoring each for his 3000th hit the day jose died Oh wow! And we had to sit with each and we said we're not we're, we're yeah, you know can't. games and he said no, this is not about me. We just have Jose Fernandez who just died. This is not about Ichiro. Right. And uh, I love him. Yeah. The last thing about Ichiro is he never refers to himself in the third person. Really? And I've come across athletes in my time. So have you. Yep. Big time third person user. Yeah. And Ichiro never did that because it would just that. Think, yeah. Think about it. Right. Japanese people. Right. You have respect for the game, respect for yourself and your teammates. No third person. It was always very noteworthy. That is pretty cool. Danny's got to take a break. <laughs> See, <I didn't... laughs> All right. Good stuff from Ichiro. We'll have to do a podcast only special, I have a feeling, because I think you have a lot more in the tank on Ichiro. We'll have to get that another time. All right. Welcome back to Kinnell and Bell hanging out here on a Tuesday. And March Madness is in full swing. We had the first opening weekend. Not a lot of upsets. And to help us get caught up on everything, help explain some of it to us, nobody better than Gary Parrish, our old guy right here from CBS. You can follow him on Twitter, at Gary Parrish, CBS on Twitter. And make sure you go download and subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. He and Matt Norlander do a fantastic uh, job. And they just dropped an opening weekend recap yesterday. And we'll preview the Sweet 16 on tomorrow's episode. So make sure you go check that out everywhere podcasts are found all right gary 
How come we have seen so much chalk this year? I mean, it feels like it's the most chalk we've seen in about a decade. Why do you think that is? I, I, it is unusual, but I guess we should never be surprised when the better teams advance. And I did think that the one seeds and the two seeds, not, not necessarily the threes and the fours, but the ones and the twos had sort of separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Um, several weeks ago, if not months ago, and had maintained that status in the sport. For instance, if you go back to February 1st and look at the AP poll, the top nine teams in the country, eight of them, are either one seeds or two seeds in this NCAA tournament. In other words, uh, the Dukes and the Carolinas and the Kentuckys, they have all been at the top of the sport for an extended period of time. And so now we get a Sweet 16 that is, as you put it, very, very chalky. Nothing but one seeds, two seeds, three seeds, two four seeds, and yeah, a five and a 12. But the five and the 12 are both preseason top 15 teams and both teams that just won their power conference tournament. So there's nothing Cinderella about any of this. So UCF almost pulled off the colossal upset, couple opportunities late. I know it was a little bit controversial, but it's done. It's in the books. Did any, can anybody take Virginia Tech specifically? That's their next opponent. Can anybody take away anything from the game plan that UCF used to show some of Duke's vulnerabilities? I do think so. Um, you know, specifically, uh, maybe not guarding Duke's guards out at the three-point line. I mean, they got to a point where UCF, for extended periods of time, were letting Trey Jones catch the ball and just, hey, if you want to shoot it, shoot it. Uh, but we're going to trust that you're not going to be able to make shots consistently enough to make us pay for this. You know, Duke is shooting 30% from three-point range on the season. And if you look at the common denominator in the Duke losses, it's not that Zion Williamson wasn't there, although some of the losses came while he was absent. It's that they shot the ball poorly around 25% in those losses. And so if Duke is going to get eliminated from this NCAA tournament before the Final Four, I do think it'll be rooted in teams daring Duke to shoot the ball from the perimeter and Duke not being able to to step up and and make those shots consistently enough because from three-point range, they rank 329th in the country. Sort of incredible a team that talented could be that bad at such a very important thing. Yeah, and it's not like you can just turn around three-point shooting. It is what it is, and Duke's not very good at shooting those threes. So it'll be interesting to see if these teams take that tactic moving forward. So Duke was the number one seed in the tournament entering it. If you could take all the information that you've seen from the opening weekend and reseed the tournament, who would be the number one seed in your mind? I would still have Duke right there. I, I don't want to fall victim to recency bias. I know that they didn't look uh, like the best team in the country in the round of 32 game, but they still have the best roster. They've still got three lottery picks. They've still got two top three picks, in my opinion, and they still got the winningest coach of all time. I mean, that's an incredible combination. Yes, they are a flawed basketball team. No, they are not unbeatable. But if you allowed me still to this day to take one um, one team to win this national championship, I would take the Duke Blue Devils. I'm a sucker for talent, and nobody touches them in the talent department. All right, talk to me about some value. What is there a team out there not named Duke that you would find some value in saying, hey, this team has the potential to knock them off? Well, I mean, you know, if you're looking for value, um, maybe not in Duke's region, but Oregon as a 12 seed is nothing like a 12 seed. I mean, this is a power conference team that has future NBA players that has been one of the best defensive teams in America lately and is on an incredible winning streak of 10 games. And in this 10 game winning streak, they've held eight of their opponents to 54 or fewer points. And so, um, if you're looking for, 
Um, and we get this every once in a while, a double-digit seed that can go to the Final Four. Um, there's only one left, uh, but that one left is, is certainly capable. I don't have the Ducks going to Minneapolis, but if you did, it would be a sensible thing. They're very, very good, much better than the number connected to the name. All right, 50 to 1 odds Oregon is to win the title. I like those. Total long shot there. Maybe they get lucky. Who knows? Hey, Gary, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you hopping on here. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the games this weekend. I would. All right, good stuff from Gary Parrish there. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter at Gary Parrish CBS and also check out uh, the Ion College Basketball Podcast with he and Matt Norlander. They do a fantastic job as you got some really good information there uh, from Gary on the tournament and all that, you know, the implications that it has. Oregon as the 12 seed possibly making a run. I like that. And I think people are crazy for jumping off Duke because they almost got beat by UCF. I think the UCF um, game could have been one of those good um it wasn't a loss, but a good wake-up call for Coach K and Duke. And I, you know, I, teams are obviously going to make them start to shoot the three, but they still have so much athleticism. I still think they could. They're 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 still the obvious favorite there. And I'd be surprised if they get challenged again until the Final Four. I think they coast through this weekend, get into that Final Four, and I would love to see a North Carolina matchup. I still think North Carolina is a team that is getting severely overlooked because of the Duke love, because of Zion's love. And I still think people forget, you know, they won them, beat them twice. Granted, two of them were without Zion. But even the third time, the ACC tournament, it did take that last-minute game-winning shot from Zion Williamson to get that done. Um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in today's uh NBA, professional sports that I cannot stand because I think it speaks to the me culture that we live in now. And in team sports, that goes against everything I was taught and everything I stand for when you think about what the game is supposed to be about. So Devin Booker was uh, playing for the Suns last night. They were playing against the Jazz, and he was trying to get 60 points, which inherently I don't have a problem with. You want to shoot out there, go ahead and do it. But in a game where you're trailing by 23 points and you're still out there trying to get a personal accomplishment, a scoring accomplishment, I have no problem with the Jazz going ahead and fouling him intentionally so that he can't get the 60th point. Not in our house. I like that Quinn Snyder said, no, no, hold on a second. And for anybody saying, well, what about the defense? What about this? What about that? Sometimes it's your game plan to let one guy go off because one player can't beat you. Yes, he can do some damage, as Booker did with the 59 points in the 41 minutes that he played, but he's not going to beat you. So clearly that was the Jazz thing saying, hey, if they want to have a one-man show, go ahead and let them do it the entire game. But then at the end of the game, when the game is without, with, when it's way out of reach, and Booker's trying to get this personal scoring accomplishment, and he did 70 almost exactly a year ago, which is cool and good for him for getting it, but I have zero problem with the Jazz saying, nope, not today. No problem with it whatsoever. And the NBA keeps taking some L's, in my opinion. It's been a rough year. LeBron now is out of the playoffs. He's not going to be there, uh, which is the first time in a decade. You know, we haven't seen that happen. It's going to be rough. Um, you've got this whole Lakers disaster. You've got a bunch of players who are more about me than the team. I'm old school. That's just, that, that's just the way I am. So I don't like it. So good on Quinn Snyder and the Jazz for preventing that from happening. Welcome back to Canal and Bell. Uh, finishing off the show here with a couple of fun topics. Uh, our boy Coca in there was not letting me just go off easily after I crushed Devin Booker going for uh, 60 points last night. Coca, you're this typical millennial who just wants guys to be themselves and be stars and do it for the gram and get all the likes and just personal accomplishments. You loved that Devin Booker was going for that, didn't you? 
Yeah, because why play defense for the entirety of the game and then the last possession? You're just like, no, we're not going to play defense anymore. Don't let them score 59 points. No, but Don't see, I think that. their game plan was very similar to Florida State when they played Murray State with Ja Morant. And, and Florida State was clearly like, we'll let Ja Morant do all the scoring. We're just not going to let him devastate us with all this, you know. Yeah, but the other difference is just like, what's the difference for me? It's like, what's the difference between 59 and 60 points? You still let a guy score 59 points on you. It's a it's a number. It's a significant number. It was in Utah, correct? Yeah. You can't do that on your home court. Like, that's the other thing. If it's in Phoenix, you probably let them do it for the home crowd, let them have a little love. But in your backyard, no, you don't let it happen. Uh, so there's a little bit of drama in the NBA. But you know where the drama just does not stop? And you thought it would have is the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. Because with Antonio Brown getting traded to the Raiders, with Le'Veon Bell leaving through free agency, uh, you figured, hey, those were some of the problems that were out of there. Now they can just get back to work. Well, it's not over yet because everybody and their brother – lately has a problem with Ben Roethlisberger. They want to voice their opinion, former players, past and present. Um, the guys on the roster have been pretty good about it, but the guys that have left are not letting it go um, without a fight. They just want to keep uh, talking out there. So Juju Smith-Schuster last night sent a tweet out, and it was pos- probably in response to Antonio Brown, which we'll get to in a minute, but he said, I was so blessed to enter the league and play with a Hall of Fame QB as a 20-year-old. Ben has taught me so much. He's a true leader, and I can't wait to rock with my guy this season. That's great. That's what the Pittsburgh Steelers need. They need camaraderie. They need guys to be uh, building each other up, not tearing them down and saying guys are selfish and airing out their dirty laundry. So Juju Smith-Schuster is doing exactly what he should be doing. But Antonio Brown is having none of it because he can't let it go by. He still wants to get the best of his, you know, his ex. And that's essentially what it kind of feels like. Antonio Brown feels like he has his ex-girlfriend who is still, he's still a little bit hung up over. He still doesn't like the way he was treated, doesn't like the way the relationship was ended. He couldn't let it go. And this is what I don't understand because Antonio Brown then tweeted, trade you off the team while you in your sleep. Y'all showed me nothing guaranteed. Hashtag number 84 slash 7. I guess that's a, a reference uh, at our boy Big Ben. But they didn't trade you off while you're in your sleep. You asked for the trade. You were all over every single network begging for a trade, saying, let me out of here. I don't get where he gets off on saying that they did it in his sleep. Like, he's trying to get people to come over to his side, and it's just... It was already played, man. You played yourself. And you got your guaranteed money. You got more money from the Raiders. Let it go. Go out and ball out this year. Have an MVP-type season. That's the best way. Danny, I got some bad news for you, dude. What? Juju Smith-Schuster is an industry plant. That's what I'm going to say about this Oh, stop it. He had nothing to say. Nothing to say at all when Antonio Brown was there. But now that Antonio Brown is gone, he's like, oh, Big Ben, you're a true leader. Yeah, he's going to have to say that because he's the only person on the team that he's that they're left to throw the football to. But that's nobody else wants to play with Big Ben. First place, the first place they should have never. And I Ben Ben made his own bed by throwing the dudes under the bus after the Denver game, going on his radio show. I feel no sympathy for Ben. Ben brought a lot of this on himself. But what good organizations do, what good franchises do is they keep it in-house. You don't air out your dirty laundry. So Juju Smith-Schuster is trying to do the right thing by making it all in the past and saying, we are moving forward. Ben's my guy. He's a great one. Hall of Fame quarterback. Let's go to work. I can't wait to rock with my guy this season. And yeah, but you were just, but here's the thing. It's like you were just talking about me being a millennial. Like Juju Smith-Schuster is the ultimate millennial because you know what? He didn't have to do this. 
You don't have to come out on social media and say anything. You know what you do? You show up to your job and you do your job. How do you this know is just, but this is just there. creating. This is just creating even more drama. Because How do you just know like, he's not sitting around watching everybody trash his quarterback and say, "Hold on a second, this has gone too far. We need to put a stop to it." No, That's because you did. did. Because the the what whatever Pouncy brother was on the team came out and supported Big Ben. So it's just and like now he is. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like you don't need to. Not everybody needs to comment on every situation. Sometimes you can just let it go. Like Antonio Brown is gone. Le'Veon go. Brown is gone. You know who can't let it go? Who's Le'Veon Brown? Who's the Le'Veon Steelers Brown? can't let it go. Who's Le'Veon Brown? <laughs> who Le'Veon Bell? By the I feel way. like I feel like you right now. Yeah, I do. See, it's not easy out here yapping about by yourself. Uh, Le'Veon Bell did tweet last night. I've never been so happy before in my life, like ever. It's truly unbelievable. I encourage others to continue to try and find true happiness, all caps, and do what makes you happy. Again, all caps. If you have not done that yet, with a purple heart. Good for Le'Veon. Good for you. You're free. You lost $14.5 million, which, nope, that's everybody's prerogative. So I'm glad that made you happy. Um, but it just feels like the drama. Man, I hope these teams meet in the playoffs because that would be so much fun. Mike Tomlin, I think Mike Tomlin, finally, who gets to speak yesterday at the uh, the coaches' meetings out there, said, we can't do this with hostages, man. We need volunteers. We need good players, good guys who want to be here. And if guys can't check those boxes, it's probably best for all parties involved to go our separate ways, which is exactly what happened. But I do think Tomlin, again, a lot of this is on Ben, a lot of this is on Mike Tomlin, and a lot of it's on Antonio Brown. There is plenty of blame to spread around the Steelers organization. But Tomlin is right. You don't want guys in your locker room who don't want to be there. So you know what? You got rid of them now. Now the pressure is on Mike Tomlin, Ben Roethlisberger, and Juju Smith-Schuster to some extent because he's got to make up for some of the production that Antonio Brown left off. But now they can say, all right, enough with the drama. Let's start moving forward. It'll be interesting to see if Mike Tomlin can change the culture in that locker room because as a player-friendly coach, he has been walked all over. And it'll be interesting to see if he can dial back some of that discipline and get guys all in again uh, as they finish off. Johnny Manziel made his AAF debut. Um I don't know. This is a sad story for me when you see Manziel out there still trying to play. I liked him in college. I was one of those fun players I've seen play in a while. Didn't think his game would fit the NFL, but thought, hey, maybe you know what? Maybe he finds an opportunity. He obviously got the opportunity, but really didn't himself. Goes to Canada, doesn't work out up there, gets this last chance. When you talk about last chance, you, this is last chance Manziel with the uh, the Memphis team. Played sparingly. And he was out there talking trash. There was a video that was caught of him mic'd up where he was, you know, talking to other players. That doesn't bother me at all. That's who he is. But man, I just hope Manziel gets his life back on track because he's got some personal issues now as well with something that's going on with his wife on Instagram. She's out there saying bonds were, vows were broken. Uh, but man, I just hope Manziel gets his life back on track because it'd be a great comeback story and I would love a redemption story. Hey, uh, you know, I teased that Jason Kidd, possibly coach for the Lakers, which would be an outstanding discussion. But since we're out of time, we'll have to do it when Raja gets back. He's back on Thursday. Again, load management, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for Raja. He's back on Thursday. We'll see you then. Tommy Tran, back in with us tomorrow. Now we're